Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. I'm Nick. And this is our review of Paranormal Activity 3, starring Lauren Bittner, Chris Smith, Chloe Singeri, and Jessica Tyler Brown. Directed by Henry Juiced and Ariel Shulman, released in 2011 on a budget of $5 million, grossed over $207 million at the box office. So wildly popular segment, part three here. And I want to start by talking about our directors here, Juiced and Shulman. I know I've seen Catfish. Ron, Nick, have you guys seen that uh I guess you call it semi-documentary. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the TV show on MTV. Okay, so you get the basic idea then. That's how I met you, Jay. <laughs> Don't give away the secrets, Ron. Uh, what about uh, what about you? Yes, I've seen both the mockumentary, documentary, and the and I am a super fan of the television series, especially since they came to my town. Oh, yes, that's right. They have been through the Ville. So, yeah, so, I am a fan of these two guys. I think they have a unique style. And when I found out they were going to be involved in Paranormal Activity 3, I was excited. Not excited enough to go to the theaters yet, still. I still hadn't broken that part of it. But I thought, yeah, you know what? If anybody else could you know, take this thing on, sure, why not? Let, let's do something interesting with uh, with the catfish guys. And then I thought, well, what's it going to be? Is, is Katie like going to punk somebody online? Or, you know, how, how's it going to go? I had no idea they were going back to the 80s with this. I mean, I, I'm I'm also realizing that I'm old now and that the 80s is considered going back in the day. What do you mean you're old yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of questions for you, Jay, about like uh, the 80s aesthetic going on here because you were, uh, what, 35 when this I'm, movie I'm, took place? Uh, yeah, I was 35 <laughs> when this came out, yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I've been, been uh, around that uh, more than, I guess, maybe YouTube, but uh, it's... Uh, Plus, combined times by two. <laughs> well, hey, you guys aren't that spring of chickens, but uh, anyway, no, I, I was I was curious about this though. I I was also nervous though because the other part of it was that the main characters were going to be a couple of kids and horror movies and kids. I mean, it can be done well and it can also be done awfully, and I think the latter is more common than the former. Yeah, for every uh, sleepaway camp. There's a sleepaway camp too. I, I would not have gone with those as the go-to references. I'm curious to get into this thing though because the '80s, you've got kids, camcorders. I mean, how's that going to work? You know, all that stuff. I had all these questions going into it, but I don't mind saying and tipping my hand a little bit here. I, when I first saw this one, really, really liked it, and uh, I'm curious to see if that holds up. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the movie, though, and then we can, uh, or get into the plot summary that we could talk about the movie. So we go back to 1988 when sisters Katie and Christy seem to be enjoying a normal, happy childhood at home with their mother, Julie, and her live-in videographer boyfriend, Dennis. 
But after an earthquake and strange occurrences around the house, Dennis decides to use his cameras to discover the source of strange happenings. The couple are especially worried about Christy, who tells of conversations with an imaginary friend she calls Toby. The cameras do indeed reveal a flurry of supernatural occurrences. We see it terrorize Katie and Christy, harming Katie until Christy agrees to finally do what it asks. And after Katie and Dennis's employee Randy play a frightening game of Bloody Mary, where Toby intervenes, Dennis sets up another camera that gives him a clue into the activity. He discovers a symbol belonging to a coven of witches that brainwashed the girls of childbearing age into having sons, then forced them to give up their sons, and they would not remember anything after. Julie dismisses his claim, and however, more paranormal activity convinces Julie to finally give in to Christie's wish to take them to see Grandmother Lois. And one night at the house, Dennis is pursued by older women, presumably of the coven, and when he rushes in to find Julie, her limp body levitating and hurled at him from the stairs. Dennis and Christie hide in the closet, and when they come out and find Katie crying by Julie's body. He approaches her and a demon face growls at him, knocking him backward. And as he tries to reach Julie, Lois appears and Dennis's body violently contorts, breaking him in half and killing him. And in the last scene, Lois tells the girls to come with her because it's time to get ready and they presumably go upstairs to play with Toby as credits roll. And that is Paranormal Activity 3 in a nutshell, fellas. Now, maybe it's just my household, but when she started talking about her imaginary friend Toby, don't you think someone in 1988 would have made at least one Roots reference? I I was curious as to where we came up with the name Toby anyway. Um, and, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we've heard that, correct? It is. It is definitely. It's <clears throat> like hearing Sith for the first time after you know three movies and never hearing that. It's <laughs> yeah. Now it's they finally named him. Yeah. I I uh I was very intrigued uh by the the whole setup here and and yeah there's a there's a longer cut of this movie that has a little intro which version did you guys see because the one I saw starts right in the eighties but there's another version where Katie drops off some uh, videotapes to Christie's I saw the one where they uh, dropped off the old videotapes uh kind of got flashbacks of the forty year old version there dropping off a big <laughs> box of porn. <laughs> It was either that or it was like previously on Paranormal Activity, you know, so it's it's kind of how I felt about it. Ron, which one did you see? Uh, I think it was the box of videotapes, but I also saw this one in theaters like I did the second one. Uh, So I got I've seen both versions. Okay, All right. So, well, what was that theater experience like then since you're the one that did see it in theaters? Oh, man, it's. I, I said this the last time, and I'll say it again. The paranormal activity in a theater is a great experience, uh, especially on the big screen, because um, you there's so much ground to cover. You're never sure where the, uh, the spook is going to jump out at you, uh, or when the creepy thing is going to happen. And like you hear people whispering, you see people pointing at the screen you hear gasps when something happens it's it's if you can see it in a big crowd um it's really it really makes it a lot of fun it may not add to the serious watching a movie experience but it's definitely makes it a whole lot more entertaining I could see this one being fun in a big crowd because I'll say now I think this is the scariest one of all of them. I think this one plays the scares right and also has some of the most inventive uses of the camera. And to be a throwback movie, that's interesting to me. Uh, to the, see how uh, that goes. The thing that got the most like audience reaction was the debut of the fan camera. 
Yeah, the camcorder like, on the was fan. Just, yeah, the camcorder on the fan. Even as he was setting his up, people were talking amongst themselves like, "Oh, this is going to be good," knowing that it was going to come into play later, as all these things typically do. No, no, I I love that part. I, I really do. Chuff off stand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I also will say too. I think this film works well because I I like the two kids. I I think the kids that they got to play Christy and Katie do a pretty good job of mimicking characters we've seen for you know a movie and a half now at least. I mean we've seen Katie for two uh, for the most part, but we you know we saw them together a little bit in that last one, and I I thought they did a pretty good job of portraying that relationship and throwing back to some of those things that Katie had dropped and talked about. They're like, you're going to wind up just like mom. We don't want to talk about this. And she even does a little bit of that here, her younger self. So I, I dug that. Yeah. The two little girls acted like little girls. So they acted like themselves. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's not, it, there wasn't a lot of great directing there. They're not going to win an Oscar, but I thought they were good. Again, we, you know, horror films with kids can be, a big miss sometimes and I well because think- typically because you have them you could ad lib a lot of the stuff going on in here and just you know have them you know playing around mm-hmm. you know just acting like kids and you know i think just because it's such guerrilla filmmaking in a way it's a lot easier for kids to kind of do that as opposed to having a camera right in their face and doing 16 takes you know yeah i think it's a little bit more natural for them to do it Right, and, it, and it's not the Stanley Kubrick way of you know making a film where you do the same take nine hundred times in a row, you know. So yeah, or it's, it's not putting it behind a green screen and telling them to say this is pod racing, you know. Yeah, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's like every podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a reference Star Wars the entire <laughs> podcast. So I hope you guys are ready. But I, I think it's I think it's really important that we like these two kids, like horror movie kids, like you said. When they go wrong, they just ruin the whole movie. But these two kids are, are good, you know? They don't have to do a lot of, like, acting, but I think there's a certain art to not... to filming around the things kids are going to do, to guiding them, uh, you know, properly, and to doing the right, okay, now you need to shriek and be dragged by your ankles here, sweetie. You know, it, it's it's... I think it's tough to keep kids from... Uh, from like being too wooden. You oh, know? I think part of that is a lot of times in horror films they don't tell the kids what they're in. You know, they just shoot them and they mm. they put it together in editing. I don't know. I didn't see any of the behind the scenes stuff on this one, but I kind of got the feeling that they told these guys you're you're being haunted by ghosts, so be freaked out. You know, or they did things to kind of scare them. You know, because you got some real reaction out of those chicks. I mean, they they did a good job with that. Either that, or they are the next Meryl Streep or something. Because th- those screams were not the screams of people acting scared. They were they were scared. Like I don't think Henry and Ariel are on their Christmas card list. So, but I think I also got to imagine it'd be pretty easy to kind of dull a lot of the screaming in there, considering there's not a lot of close-ups in this film too. So, just kind of throwing that out there so that's an interesting thought but i i don't know this doesn't seem like the kind of film that does that type of stuff they seem to really go with the ambient sound of the room i i don't know so uh well let, and let's it doesn't really it doesn't really sound like adr screaming either like it sounds like it sounds like it's it's in camera or at least you know really well faked yeah if it is it's the greatest sound editing. they missed an oscar for sound editing so if that's the case, cause well they lost they lost to the Dark Knight Rises. Is that what it is? Okay, it was the same. I guess it was the same year. So uh, but yeah, um, interesting, uh, interesting 
thought. Toby was born in the darkness. <laughs> so I thought you were going to reference Star Wars. Now it's Nolan films. So. Uh, it's, it's all over the place tonight. I'm hopped up on coffee. So. <laughs> well, let's talk about the house for a minute. Nick, I you texted me offline and said, I got thoughts about the house. So let's hear them. Yes, I am... Uh currently in the market looking for a house right now and uh, seeing many houses built in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, two years ago. This is not an 80s home. (laughs) (laughs) Just the layout and the design. It's a very open, you know, what I call an open flow home. That was not very popular or even feasible back in the 80s. Everything was kind of compartmentalized back then. So, I mean, even like the loft that was turned into a bedroom, you didn't see that much in the 80s. So, I just kind of was like, yeah, they... They had to find a home, and then they just threw some old uh, old appliances in there and stuff, and had the guy wear a flannel shirt and stonewashed jeans. So I thought it was just – it was took me a little bit out of it, especially with so much of it having to take place up in the loft area that it was just like, this is not 88. This is 2008 home. Well, I'll say this about it. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I did feel like this film was a – or this house was a mix of – the first two houses, like I, I, I really got that feel, and I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but I really thought that watching it this time, I thought this feels like a house that is a combination of the first two. What well, do you if they think? Had a five, if they had a five million dollar budget, they had to get whatever house they could get. So they well, had to get one like that they, was. It's not like they bought the house; they just rented it. Yeah, but I think even renting, where is it supposed to? I don't even know where they filmed this, but still, even like renting a house, though. I mean, they're they're still working on a shoestring budget there, especially when you got all the actors and everything, and you know, five million bucks. You know, that's a lot to us, but when it comes to filming dollars, you know, they got spread it a little bit. They didn't have the the best craft services either, right here. <laughs> yeah, their their uh, lunch line was lacking. I understood. So, but I'll give it that. Cuts. I will gi- I will give it that. Only because I like Katie and Christy here. And I'll tell you another thing. I like Julie and Dennis as characters and as actors, too. I thought they did a pretty good job. What did you make of those two? Um, I I have my doubts as to how, um, you know, anachronistic it feels to have a live-in boyfriend in 1988. I, I don't think that was a thing that went on all that much, even in, you know, depraved California. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, Dennis, I really liked Dennis as a character. I really liked uh, Julie as a character. And I I actually really got a, I had a lot of fun with Randy uh, as a character. Yeah, the help guy for Dennis. Yeah, yeah Randy was, was a pretty good comic relief to me. I just found it interesting that like Dennis could make a an actual living off of being a wedding photographer, you know, <laughs> like and maybe that is an underlying thing because Lois does give Julie a lot of crap about that, you know, in in the movie, and and maybe he doesn't, maybe. I, but I, I'm also wondering, like, well, where's Julie's dough come from? What does she do? We never yeah. know what she does, or- and that you know, is that the the deal? Is that you you make the uh, the um. The, the women who are in this witch's coven have just you know oodles of money for reasons that are unexplained. Yeah, well, that they, was the one conceit I couldn't give the movie was the fact that he could afford you know this type of video equipment working on a you know wedding photographer's salary. I mean, we've all seen the Wedding Singer. You get they live in the basement. 
they don't know that's the, that's the that. singer though well, man that's the, yeah, yeah that's the singer he doesn't yeah and they make more money investment. than the photographer oh no not in not in 1988 in 1988 before people had video cameras like everywhere you could actually make money videotaping weddings yeah, I had a friend that did that actually, not in the eighties, but the early nineties, and he made a he made a good side bit bit doing that. So I could I could buy it somewhat, but I'm with you, Nick. He's not paying for that house. I think Julie's paying for that house. I, I'm yeah, pretty sure I, about that. As, as we discussed offline, I thought they kind of missed an opportunity here, where I mean, they could easily have set this movie up. You know, it's in California. They could have just said this guy worked in the industry, and that could totally totally buy. Yeah, porn industry if you want. <laughs> They're not in the you valley. Know, type of film. So. Yeah, I mean, but they could have done that where it could have been, you know, okay, he's going to make a lot more money and he's actually going to have access to all this video equipment. So I thought they kind of missed a little bit there. I thought they should have just took it one step further and had him working for it. And hey, maybe that's what this guy is. Maybe make him a sleazeball. Maybe make it that he is kind of in the, uh, you know, <laughs> adult in industry. the porn industry, the adult industry there, because he's obviously got a little bit of a kink for that i mean based on one of the first scenes that we see and did you guys get the feeling that he was gonna he was gonna show that video to his friend i no no not at all i got off of that exactly what you're supposed to get off of it they're smoking weed they're having their little secret moment or whatever and they decided to do what every couple in the 80s allegedly decided to do with the camera right like don't show this to anybody but of course they're gonna go film it julie's all into it too that's the thing like her protest is very you know, shallow. Like clearly, she's she's fine with that. So she never. They're just gonna throw it in a box. They're gonna throw it in a cardboard box and put it at the closet. You let her daughter deliver it to her sister later in life. I don't know. So that would have been great if they <laughs> had <ended> with that. <laughs> that had happened. We get a shot yeah. of uh, what the guy from last time, and or no, the teenage daughter would have found it with her boyfriend. What is this, Grandma? Grandma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. And great grandma Lois, what are you doing there? Yeah, so anyway, but it does lead us to one of the cool early scenes, and that's that earthquake that interrupts all that, and you get that dust falling, and it's the, you know, it does the cheesy ghost thing of it outlines something and then it goes away, and of course they find it later. I thought that was a, a well done shot and genuinely creepy. Yeah, I really, uh, I really like that shot too. I like that whole setup of, um, you see, well, um, to, just to go backtrack a little bit. In the second movie, uh, when Allie is doing her uh, Googling of witchcraft, they discussed that the women would trade their the souls of their firstborn sons for wealth and power. So that would be where Julie's money comes from. But she doesn't have a son. That's the thing. Is Lois is all on her about, like, don't you want to have another kid? Don't you want a son? And she's like, no, nah, two's plenty. Like, so well, I'm like, well, who's the son? You know? Well, Lois is the one uh, with the money and the power. Oh, okay. And okay. she's supporting her daughter and her daughter's dumpy boyfriend, uh, Bob Guccione. <laughs> I guess I guess so. I, I just I never thought about it like that. That Lois was the one supplying everything, but I just I called him Ugly John Stamos the whole movie. <laughs> he did. You know what? That's a pretty good one. He he also reminded me of he he reminded me a little bit of uh, what's the guy's name that played? Um, he was on Jeremy Sisto. I was trying to say like he was on NYPD Blue and he was also Jesus once. Yeah, Jeremy Sisto. <laughs> I, I got that off of him. You know, I. I don't, you know yeah. who he? You know who that actor reminded me of? Uh, Neve Shulman, the host of MTV Catfish. Ariel's MTV brother. Series. Ariel's yeah, brother. And, and the guy who is supposedly his life is about or something that happened to him. 
online was the subject of the documentary, if you will. So, yes, yeah. the, first, the first catfish victim. But I was hoping that he'd have a man bun after a little bit of the movie, that hair of his. <laughs> he kind of had like a Kid Harrington thing going on. He did have a little bit of that, too. You're right. Beyond that, though, I, I, back to the earthquake bit and that, that scare, what, did that work for y'all? I mean, did you like the, the dust falling on the ghost and stuff? Yeah, it was neat. I mean, it kind of will harken back to the first movie with, like, the uh, the talcum powder at the door and stuff and, like, how, you know, you're able – it has some type of physical presence there and, you know, I, it was a nice callback to that. I, I liked it. I mean, convenient that, of course, the camera falls and aiming at it, but, you know, I'll give it it. It was, it was a good scene. Oh, you know, I, the thing to me is, is I'm like, well, Toby's kind of freaky, you know, because he's just standing there watching. Like he was at a good angle, you know. Yeah. So, you're like, okay, come on, Julie, come on. Well, maybe they, maybe it was like, maybe he's the ghost from the entity. I don't know if you guys ever seen that '80s movie. Oh, no, yeah. I haven't. But that's oh a, uh, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's that's the plot of it is that there's a horny ghost and yeah. So that sounds about exactly like it. So yeah, yeah. I was. That's the other thing too. The way they tried to dress Julie in very eighties. My wife is the one who reacted like, "Hmm, that doesn't fit her very well." <laughs> like, no, yeah. I guess women in the eighties were that. Is what she said. But it was. It yeah, was I funny. Think it was, I, I wanted more like dark khaki, and then of course like the remember like the rainbow stripes that you'd always see in the eighties. Yes. Yeah. Where was that? I, so. I, I wanted that. Come on, that that was big in the late eighties, and they did not have that. So I was disappointed. I, I was sitting I was, here the whole time, just like waiting for it, and I was just like ready to like jump up as soon as I saw the rainbow suspenders. Did not happen. <laughs> no, I was disappointed that her hair wasn't teased. Yeah, there needed to be more Aquanet in that hair. Yeah, yeah she, it's, she, it's she needed still to wear like a suit. She needed to have a suit, with shoulder pads. I mean, come on, every woman had shoulder pads. That did now. that needed to be. I guess Lauren Bittner may have may have said no to some of those things. I don't know, but uh, again, they're working with five million dollars. Maybe, maybe you know this. This was 2011. The hair bands were all in Renaissance at that point, so maybe all the Aquanet was bought up in L.A. You never know. And then you guys even talking about like them like smoking weed in the beginning. I mean, shouldn't it have been coke. At this time, yeah, eighty-eight. That's what I was. Oh, yeah. I was like, I guess weed is the sa- the safe drug. Is that what they're trying to do? Is that they they did the safe drug? See, again, I, I'm writing this movie, and there could have been coke falling on Toby as the earthquake. <laughs> coke, coke is falling. Yeah, Dennis is actually a coke dealer, uh, and he's See, got it in the this ceiling. Is all coming together now. See, this would have been a much much better movie. And then Toby gets freaking all like out of his mind, crazy on coke. There. <laughs> Maybe that explains why Toby is what he is. <laughs> yeah, a he demon on like thrashing stuff because he's all got a you know he's got super adrenaline off of cocaine. Yeah, there you go. So, so, so does that mean in the, in the first paranormal activity instead of the talcum powder, it should have been like uh, crystal meth? No, it should have been should have been some of the the baby blue from uh, from Heisenberg, man. So, oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> that's what that should have been. So. But uh, but it's not coke. It's weed and it's dust and it's it's <laughs> bad home porn. So that's that's what it's supposed to be. But it, it leads us to stuff where Dennis and Randy find the you know the the ghost shape or whatever, and they start seeing weird stuff, and that starts some setting up cameras around everywhere. And I, you know I think this is the first movie that bothered to explain this is why I want to set the camera up everywhere. I mean, it was a security system last time. The first time it was, I'm playing with my new toy and there's weird stuff happening in the house, you know, and so you just conceded it. This one, they actually felt the need to, like, give it exposition. So <laughs> this is why it's we're doing it. the first time we've ever seen uh, them actually, like, watching the actual video themselves. At least is what I, I, I remember is, like, them, you know, I'd never seen that before in the other ones where they're actually watching themselves, watching the video. And I guess my question for the whole series, are we supposed to take this that 
somebody found this footage and then re-edited it and then is showing us what they saw. The the conceit from the first, the line of the first movie is that it's footage from the police department. Okay, so that's what we're supposed to be keep taking then. As it's supposed as to be that, that Blair Witch conceit. That's what it is. It's supposed to be that. So I just, I guess, you know, I, you know, yeah, we got to give it the conceit with the cameras, but it's just like, man, this family just likes to record everything. You know? <laughs> just as like, no matter what's happening, there's a video camera going on, you yeah. know? I mean, I mean, let, let's not kid ourselves. All Dennis wants to do is, is catch Julie on the toilet. That's, oh, just, yeah, he's that's been the point here. Exactly. And he, and he does later yeah. in the movie. But boy, does yeah. she get him though? I I love when she you know, they're investigating weird sounds and she comes out of the closet with that freaking mask on. That was hilarious because mainly because I can relate to it because that is totally something my wife has done to me. And so <laughs> not because I was trying to catch her on the toilet, I was just investigating weird noise. Didn't know she was home, and boom, she loves to scare the crap out of me, and it it was hilarious. I thought that was great. I could see you almost having a heart attack, Jay. I <laughs> dude, I it, I was Elizabeth coming to join you, honey, on that one. I mean, really, it was it was bad. I, but you know, the thing the thing about it, and what what I really love about that is it endears you to them as a couple. You know, if you were having any trouble buying that at all, well, that just sets that up better for you. I I really thought they they handled that well. I I enjoyed those moments. I thought that was it was fun. So and it lightened the mood because you know it was about to get real weird. Yeah, that was a that was great timing for uh, a much needed laugh. I think that was about the perfect time to to throw a little bit of humor into the situation. And and Julie and Dennis do are like probably the second most real feeling couple to uh, Katie and Mika from the first. Oh, big time, big time. But they're more likable than Katie and Mika were, I think. I think Mika is the hard one to. That we've all kind of brushed up against him. I think Katie's always been likable. Mika came off like such a douche for so long; it was hard to really ever go for him. I think. Yeah, I've, I've never met a guy named Mika who's not a douche. I think it just goes with the territory. Have you ever met a guy named Mika? That's the other question. So uh, yes. that's, that's. You know, I got to ask you though: is is there been any explanation though? And maybe I missed this in a previous movie, but their father. Do we know who their father is? Where is the male? Yes, I, no. There's no explanation. I'm glad you asked that because I believe they're... he died in the in the Clone Wars. Is that what, is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> well, no. They he was an excellent pilot. He was a good friend. Yeah. So they they've made they've made no explanation as to where their father is, and that's that's a theme in these movies: the lack of a father figure. I mean, it's everywhere. In these things, and so I no, uh, I mean even look the last time the dad in that movie was, I mean he was present, but he was also kind of a jump to conclusions Matt kind of dude, you know. Well, so, I mean, he, it seems like there's like actually like no like real like male, you know. Figure. There's been, there's been fathers, but there's been no like genetic tie to any of these guys in the movies to actually the kids. I mean even in the second one, well I mean, that was his kid. Yeah, I mean, I mean that yeah. was his kid. I'm just saying like as far as like. Oh, I guess, yeah, I screwed up right there. I mean, but I guess... No, uh, no, I get what you're saying. He yeah. is the father of that child, but he's not related to the actual, the most important child of the movie, which or, or which would be Allie. I mean, oh, he's well, yeah, related yeah, that, to her, that, that, excuse yeah, me, but yeah. uh, she's not part of, like, the bloodline, I think is what you're getting at. There's right. no real, there's not any connection between, any biological connection between these... Well, there was the father in Hunter. I, I forget that. He was Hunter's father, I think. Right, right. Yeah, yes. but that yeah. doesn't really but, count because Hunter but he, was a baby. 
Right. He will have no memory of his father. Right. Like they have no like the men in these films are largely afterthoughts in a lot of ways, I think. I, I really feel that way. And or they're they're nuisances to be done away with. Mika, Dennis, you know, I, I think that's what we're seeing here. And so I think I, this is just a statement on how men have no men are no longer men and uh just completely useless now. You know, is that was that what it is? Are these guys I trying to totally I think it's totally a social uh, commentary about the uh Ultra feminism and how men have taken a back seat now. Things start to get strange though. Christy gets sick out of the blue, you know, and so they have to take her to the hospital. So Katie and Randy end up hanging out together and they've already set up this Bloody Mary thing because the girls do it earlier and nothing happens and they screw it up and you're like, no, they're going to go back to that. I know it's the, it's the Chekhov's Bloody Mary and Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls. Ah. <laughs> that was excellent. But no, I, I really thought that the, the Bloody Mary scene with uh, Randy and Katie is fantastic because it's Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, dark, boom, something ate me. What is going on? I mean, that was, that's when the movie be turned really nasty and, well, yeah, and menacing. I mean, total copying of Poltergeist there. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, this whole series is that. I mean, that, you, you could say that about any movie made after Poltergeist that dealt with Yeah, but they, they, they should have dropped the line about that. I mean, Poltergeist is a pretty big movie in the 80s, and I think they came on, what, 85? 86? Uh, yeah, somewhere along yeah, yes. there. So, yeah, so... I yeah I could see I could see them dropping a line about it in there maybe but I and though then again it's almost better that they don't that they don't bother to acknowledge it like no we all know you're thinking that but we're not going to say it you know I don't and think, so I I have my doubts as to how many people in the target audience age group remember Poltergeist exactly yeah we are we are not the target audience we are a bunch of old men. Yeah, yeah. This is not who this is appealing to. It's to the teenagers that you know are are supposed to be the audience that are actually the stars of the next film. Oddly enough, but no, I uh, I don't know. I I I like the conceit of the Bloody Mary and that they're going to play it and what happens to Randy and that it and his reaction is what's so great. He loses his shit over this as you would and should and he's like i'm getting out of here this stuff's weird you need to get out of here and you know of course dennis is all over that but julie's hearing none of it you know and it and it only gets worse from there yeah i loved randy's response and i loved how um when he opened the door uh and screamed and then slammed the door and immediately turned to to uh Katie and said, it's okay, it's okay. That that made me laugh, because it was clearly not okay, and she heard you like shriek in terror. <laughs> so, so one of those examples of what I'm talking about, like, they did something to scare that kid. <laughs> and she's like, I hate you all. <laughs> Mommy, where are you? <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, we're gonna so, find out, like, they, they had the puppy on set, and they kept them putting a gun to its head. <laughs> or so, something, yeah, right? So, I, I, I'm Cryer curious. the dog gets it. <laughs> so, make it real, Katie. So, come on, Chloe. I, so, yeah. The one scene, oh, I, I do like, though, is with the babysitter in the poodle skirt. Um, yeah. When she's downstairs in the kitchen, and then the, uh, the, the sheet? sheet appears, and yeah. then you can see a figure underneath it, it's, you know, obviously child size. Mm-hmm. Unless Toby's a midget, which would be awesome if he was a lethal <laughs> midget, by the way. I hope he is. Um, and then they could cross it over with Phantasm. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark with like the cyber guy, the cyber midget. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show. Oh, but, uh, yes. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just thinking, how awesome would it be if you turned out to be a coke fueled midget? <laughs> You're still on this coke. It was dust, man. So <laughs> I'm telling you, that's well, more like an episode. See, did you, that's Randy more like Leprechaun Eight. All, yeah. all the stuff was all crashed everywhere. He was pissed. He wanted some coke. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, last time they set up the whole bit in the kitchen, right? With the uh, we're gonna you know blow all the doors open and scare you to death. Now they just drop the whole kitchen on the floor. Woman walks into the kitchen. Where's all my stuff? And then it comes raining from the sky. That was uh, amazing. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, that was a that was a phenomenal scene. I, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, that was one of my favorite scares, uh, cause it, it lingers just long enough for you to be as confused as she would be. Uh, and then they have it perfectly timed when to drop the crab before you realize, oh wait, none of that stuff is there. And before you can, it can expect it to come falling from the ceiling. Uh, it falls from the ceiling. It, it's, it's really, it was really put together well, I think. And it did just the perfect, the, the perfect, passage of time for even the slowest person in the audience to realize hey where's all the crap from the table yep and then it's gone so no i i thought that was a, a fantastic scare and another great jump you know so what'd you make of the the bit with christy talking to toby we haven't really talked much about her we talked a lot about the katie character what would y'all make of christy and her imaginary conversations with toby do you think that was a callback to the shining i mean toby tony talk you know the little kid talking to them i just kind of felt like that was uh i'm not gonna say they copied it but kind of like an homage to the shining and how that character was talking to this uh invisible entity the entire time i hadn't thought about that but it's a good call yeah that would fit in really well with the scene from the next movie too Mm -hmm. um yeah that we'll talk about then i'm sure yeah so that yeah that I could see that, but I love that after all the real bad stuff starts going down, she goes upstairs and is like, fine, I'll do it, fine. And what he wants is for them to go to Grandma Lois's. Because, as we know, she's the queen white witch or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, I was kind of hoping that Teddy Ruxpin or Ruxpin or whatever his name is going to have more of a part in this movie. Because I... <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> They kept on showing them, and I'm like, oh my god, how awesome would it be if they if the Toby possessed Teddy? Yeah, when I was a kid in 1988, like what people did was you'd borrow your older brother's Easy E tape and put it in with Teddy Ruxpin because that <laughs> there was nothing like seeing Teddy talk about cruising down the street in my six foe, you know, because so, it it well, you, will scar you for life when you see that. Do, <laughs> do you think they missed though, like something with that though, where maybe you could have actually had Toby talking through? that teddy bear to her, you know, it was just one scene in a couple words. See, and the reason I'm second? glad they didn't do that though, again, because this series, if it's done anything has teased, it's big, bad in, in an incredible way. And if they had done that, I, I'm just afraid it would just be too cheesy. Like I, I think that would be a jump the shark moment to me. I kept expecting Teddy Ruxpin to start, you know, backwards mm-hmm. talking through, a you know, a Ozzy Osbourne album or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really liked that it didn't happen because it was yeah, that, one of those. It was one of the false scares that they've set up. They keep showing this thing, and I kept waiting for like its eyes to move or like something to happen with the Teddy Ruxpin. And mm-hmm. the they, could, they, they could have done something though, really just real subtle, is maybe just had the doll had its thing and like his eyes quick moved or something and looked at him. I mean, just to kind of give a little bit of a jump. I don't know. I, I was expecting it the entire time and. I don't know. Maybe they could have put like Jesus Priest in there, and it could. You know, you guys have hit something. They did miss out on the Satanic Panic. 
Like that that could maybe Julie should have referenced that. Like you got to stop watching Geraldo or something. Like that would have that would have fit the times because that was definitely 1988. I mean that was. I told huge. you to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons, Dennis. <laughs> exactly. Something I mean, like that. Dennis and Randy look like they definitely played Dungeons and Dragons in the basement. It's, you know, with with weed, and it would have ended with the the Julie tape one night. Yes, you're correct. But yeah, we do get totally, to the... he would have totally owned a classic NES too. Now let's talk about this, the finale at Grandma Lois's though. The way all that goes down, the reveal of the you know the old coven and the hiding in the closet, and then the ultimate finish of it all. I mean, how did that all work for y'all? Because I I find that even now, having seen it a few times, incredibly frightening. I I think it's one of the best sequences in any of these films. They really have have saved the best for the end there. Now was this in a subdivision or was her house like kind of like off the beat path? I took that it was off the beaten path a little bit. Okay, because yeah. I was just like, oh, it's, if this isn't a subdivision, someone's going to notice that fire. Yeah. Well, they've got like a wall. It's like on a, on like kind of an estate, because don't they have like a wall and uh, yes. like a privacy wall and gates and stuff? Yeah, it's definitely. It was a, nice house. It was a very nice house. It was off, it's off by itself, that's for sure. During the finale, though, I just, you know, I couldn't give it the conceit of him carrying around that camera the entire time. I know we have to see it. Yeah. But. I just couldn't buy that. And this isn't like, you know, a camera phone. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, the new camcorders that can fit in your hand. I mean, those ones are they're big. Yeah. I mean, and those things are heavy, too. You know, I, I'm a big guy, and I'd have trouble carrying it around like that but, the way he was doing it. And I just I couldn't give it that he was going to keep on carrying this thing around or even record anything at the end. I mean. The reason I did is a, because he's had it the whole time, and I just I couldn't see him not doing it, you know. Here's what I was thinking. Uh, low light vision. Mm-hmm. See, using the eyepiece to see through uh, and not, you know, fall over all the furniture. That was my assumption as what he was doing. Interesting. Hadn't thought about that, but that's an interesting conceit. Plus, you know, this guy's had that uh, had that night vision lens for like three years and has never used it right. except for maybe some sex tapes. And now he really <laughs> wants to, to get it out of the bedroom. Is Julie dead, or is she just in a trance? What what's what's happening there with her? I took it that she was in a trance. Okay, she's like in some type of n- ninja trance. Because like, didn't she like kick him down the stairs like real well, hard? She, and, like, she gets hurled at him and and you know knocks him over with a cross body basically. Yeah, I wouldn't take it that she'd be dead. I mean, what would be the point of her mom killing her? I don't I don't see why. You know, I see well, like. She's probably been a part of this or something, even like when at the ages of the of the daughters or something. And I, I don't know. I didn't think of that she's dead. I just took it that she was kind of possessed or underneath the control of her mom. Well, that's, I, that's the thing is is because Katie has said that before about like, do you want to end up like mom? And we have no idea what she's talking about. Like that's they've never answered that. And I got news for you, they don't answer it in either of the next two films we got to talk about. So we still don't know what that means. Like maybe this wax her out. I don't know. I mean, it's just. It's one of those odd things about these uh, these movies that isn't explained. But I I wondered if if we were supposed to think she was dead because the first time I saw this, that's what I thought. I was like, oh god, she's dead too, and the thing just uses her body to you know knock Dennis down. See, I had assumed she was dead because she wasn't cooperating with Lois and wasn't having another child, mm-hmm. and maybe she tried to get in between. Uh, she did try to resist uh, Lois in bringing Christy and Katie over to grandma's house to right. complete the ritual or whatever. I'd assume she had was not cooperating and thus had to go, but she could have also gone into some sort of 
Toby-based Catatonia uh, state and spent the rest of her life in the institution with Sarah Connor. <laughs> yeah. I liked the eventual end, though, the, the dentist uh, getting you know broken in half. I thought that was well done and a good contortion uh, effect there. I, I was cool that... Because we've seen this before. Like, Katie has, like, the force push, you know, power, right? We've, we've seen that a couple times. So I'm glad that that's not how they, they took out Dennis. Like, he got done extra good. Like, you know, they, they broke him in half. So, uh, which, again, you want to go with the metaphor of it. You know, he's only half, you know, responsible for any of that anyway because theirs are not his children. He's just he's just the uh, live-in, hanger-on boyfriend, if you will, according to Lois. Yeah, I really liked his death. Uh, it was one of the the rare moments in any of these movies where I actually winced. Yeah. Having started doing yoga, it just gave me lots of pain to watch that happen to him. Because I always imagine as I'm doing yoga, I'm one like misplaced foot away from shattering my spine. But no, I liked the ending, and I liked the the that the Katie monster face came out again, you know, because that's been the end of all these movies. Is Katie's face turns into some demonic monster thing, right? And so they, I, I thought that was great that that it started at a young age. So I I was cool for that. Yeah, that yeah, really, I thought it was cool. Yeah, I kind of like how. I, I I didn't think they were gonna go with witches as far as this fran- I mean the franchise goes because it was so like you know just about ghosts and everything but mm-hmm. so now we're Toby he works for the Coven of these people like he's some like they're I, I took it that he was the demon something. waiting to possess the firstborn or whatever maybe I'm wrong about that but that's kind of how so it is is he like the deity of them or something or like they... I'm trying to figure out the relationship. Oh, it's uh, you got to think back to the second movie. I think they basically spelled it out. At some point, this coven has su- had summoned Toby to do their covenly bidding, and nobody was having boys, so they weren't keeping up their end of the bargain. Right. And so that's when he started getting ticked, because, you know... And started, hey. like, shattering spines and all that fun stuff. Exactly. Okay, so. so who's the Targaryen, though? I'm kind of getting this confused. <laughs> I don't know if they had played Reigns of Castamere when Dennis came out of the uh, closet, though that would have been almost perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing now. It's like that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, man, this is like Game of Thrones where I gotta like have like a little cheat sheet with me. And, like, okay, I gotta, <laughs> yeah. I guess start writing down names and who's related to who. It's gonna be like this big flow chart of everything. <laughs> so yeah, I just like I said, I didn't know how they were related, but uh, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Well, guys, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Nick, Ron, what are yours for Paranormal Activity 3? I'm going to go again with a medium popcorn. That's three mediums now for me, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's the best one of the series, to be honest with you, just from sheer uh, events happening in the movie. Uh, The first one was kind of a very slow burn, and... Second one, I, I really didn't care for that much. It had some good scenes in there, but there was a lot of really stupid stuff. This one had a lot of eerie elements to it. Um, I think it was better. I think it had the best pace of all three. And to me, I think just how they started having stuff happen a lot quicker and it escalated a lot more than what we saw in the other ones. So it was a much more fulfilling movie to me, but it still hasn't got to that large level yet. I don't know if it's can because I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of these found footage movies. I'm just going to put it out there. 
I am always big on story. And within the story is the setup and just the whole having the camera the entire time. I know it's something I got to give the movie, but it just, it's, I just, I still can't go with it. I'm hoping that, you know, between four and part 13, I think of the series goes to that (laughs) one of these will kind of give me like a more fulfilling setup in a way. But anyways, it's, it's a medium popcorn for me. Uh, best uh the biggest me uh medium popcorn in a free refill or whatever you want to call it it's a uh, it's it's definitely the best so far in the series so what's it going to take to get you to give one of these movies a large popcorn is that even possible i'm going to give it a large popcorn i'm going to agree with nick that it is probably the best one of the series um i you know it's one of those large popcorns you get from the place where you get to add your own butter so you stick yes. the straw down in the middle of it and you just pump it the whole thing full of butter all the way through. So it's just like a big greasy mess of deliciousness. I mean, to the new element that they worked in, the, uh, the rotating fan cam worked great for me. Uh, I agreed that the pacing is about as good as you're going to get from this type of movie. Uh, Henry, uh, Juiced and Ariel Schulman were really, really seemed confident behind the camera. Like they knew where they were going to go and they had ideas about how to set up the scares, how long to hold, when to cut away, when to, when to tease a scare, when to have it actually happen. Uh, they were clearly good at working with the kids to get a good performance out of the kids, probably because they're used to doing fake reality, uh, <laughs> stuff. So they just drew on some of their catfish experience to make that happen. And, you know, for me, especially the thing at the end when you first see the witches with their, like, glowing witch eyes in that low-level night vision type of shot, uh, it's just terrifying. It's like um grown-up version of the kids from, uh oh, what's that movie with the little psychic kids? They're all Full albinos. House. So what? Full House? Yeah, Full House. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Seeing a bunch of emaciated Olsons just rising out of a cornfield. Village of the, you talk about Village of the Day. Village of the Day, Village I'm of the Dead, Yeah, yeah. I, I went. I I loved it. I, I loved it on the rewatch, and I recommend. Uh, even if you're not really a fan of the first one, I think it's worth to check this one out, especially if, like, unlike us, you remember those uh, high eight home video cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. That recorded to the uh, little cassette tapes. Yep, yep. Have a, my dad has a drawer full of them. Uh, it still, as a matter of fact. So, and, and I, add under Ron's though. If you ever do come to a theater that has to serve your own butter, use it on the milk duds. It is good. <laughs> that, really, I'm getting all kinds of new ideas tonight, guys. This wow. is fantastic. <laughs> so, I have never thought of that before, but now I'm now I want to uh, go and do that. But first. I'm giving this a big, strong, large popcorn. This is the best of the series for me so far. It's the, my favorite one, the one I love to watch over and over. I love the conceit of it. I like some of the cheesiness of it. I like the kids. I like Julian Dennis. And I like the scares. To me, this is the scariest one. I said that from the get-go, and I'll stick by that. This is the scariest one of them. I have a blast watching this every time. you got, you got to add the conceit, though, so far, because I have not seen the other ones yet, guys. Don't ruin it for me. 
Well, this is true. This is true. I, I will say so far of the three we have reviewed here and revisiting these, this one is the one I'm most entertained by. And, and I, I think that says a lot for it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to go to these next two because I have only seen both of them. I think I've seen part four twice and I've seen the, uh, marked ones, I believe once or one, one and a half times really. So I, I, uh, don't remember them as well. So, because uh, I know I've seen three several times. So I'm interested to get back into those and review them again. And then I got to ask though, guys, is because I haven't seen the other ones yet. Now, is the fourth one, does that take place in space? <laughs> no, it does not. It'll be the first time we do a fourth. It's not in space, Nick. So, See, after that's, uh, that's disappointing. And... Now, is any of Hell these, though, are we going to do like a prequel to the prequel and possibly have like those like old style like cameras? The next two are set in the forward. They're, they are not going back anymore. This is the furthest back they go so far. And I will say, in the fifth one, they do go to the hood. Yeah, yes, they do. And um, it's oh, it's more like the barrio, but yeah. So, uh, But yeah, they do go to the hood in that one, too. You're right. So, uh, so with all kinds of fun to be had uh, here in the future. Folks, thanks for joining us on this latest edition of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, and we appreciate your support. Till next time, for Ron and Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.